Now they're making Ghostbusters with only women. What's going on? Shut up and sit down. We will respond with that timeless creed that sums up the spirit of a people. Yes, we can. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on Earth. I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. Read my lips. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. Ah! I love the poorly educated. We're the smartest people. We're the most loyal people. Guys, it's no longer MAGA country. It's CAG country now. Is that right? Did they make the <laughs> Did ship? Did you not hear that? Keep America Cag? great again? Keep America great. Not again, because it's already great now. So it's just... We just need to keep it great. So it's CAG? CAG. Keep America great. <laughs> That's hard to say. Which is, which is weird, since he just launched his re-election campaign yesterday or whatever, basically with the exact same speech he gave four years ago. <laughs> yes. or whatever that was, three years ago. When he did, did you see how he actually did it? No. He did it pretty much like you would do it on a game show. People clapping for their, their favorite thing. All right, let's try to uh, make America great again. And they clap, and what about... Or, or, yeah, make America... What about keep America great? Ah! All right, well, I thought you mega people had it there for a minute, but uh, keep America great. It's very scientific. Yeah, yeah I like it. <laughs> it's democratic. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Mr. President. Wow. It's, gonna, it's only going to be more fun over the next year and a half. I can't wait. Uh, welcome back, guys. It's uh, Barstool Politics. I am your host, Nick McGuire. I'm joined, as always, by Dr. Bill Muck from North Central College and Dr. Phil Barker from Keene State College. Hi, guys. Hey, Nick. Hi. Hi. Uh, before we get started, all of the usual fun stuff. If you guys have questions, comments, uh, beer suggestions, guest suggestions, uh, want to see what we're up to, follow us on Twitter at Barstool Paul, P-O-L, Facebook at Barstool Politics. Uh, beers that you we we try. I don't care what you try. We try beers uh, on Untapped. Uh, look for that on iOS or Android. We're just Barstool Politics on there. Uh, the podcast, Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, most major podcasting platforms. Review us, share us, like us, any of the positive things on whatever platform you're on. Do that thing. Uh, and then for new and returning listeners, we are partnered with uh, Predicted, which is a real money political prediction market, uh, pretty much a stock market for politics where you can buy or sell shares in future political events. Uh, we'll definitely be keeping an eye on that as the uh, Democratic uh, debates come Ooh, up. This is the time to be watching where candidates are. There's going to be some movement quickly. Yes. Yeah. Uh, what's great for our listeners... Uh, uh, Barstool Politics listeners who use the uh, promo link when opening up a new account will receive up to a $20 match on their first deposit. So open up a $20 account. Uh, predicted will match that $20, giving you $40 to use. Uh, all you have to do is use the uh, promo link, predicted.org slash promo slash Barstool 20 uh, to check it out. It's lots of fun. Thanks, Predicted. Yeah. Um, dirt. Dirt is a complicated thing, apparently, which we still haven't wrapped our minds around. <laughs> Or getting dirt from foreign countries it, and power. It's okay as long as it's from Norway. Mm-hmm. We've, we've it's very clean. It's yeah. clean dirt there. All right, let's start. So ABC News anchor George Stephanopoulos embedded with President Donald Trump for a multi-part and wide-ranging interview last week. Some of the biggest takeaways were, number one, Trump saying his internal polling shows him winning everywhere. Uh, he also suggested that his former uh, White House counsel, Don McGahn, 
may have lied under oath when he said Trump ordered him to fire Robert Mueller. And uh, slamming his Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell, insisting that Powell's actions have hurt the economy. During the interview, he even got so angry with Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney for coughing during one segment that he kicked Mulvaney out of the Oval Office. Did you guys see that clip? It was crazy. It Mm -hmm. it was bizarre. Um, Yet, without question, the biggest story was Trump telling Stephanopoulos that if a foreign government approached him with dirt on his opponent, he'd listen. And he doesn't think it's necessarily all that uh, necessary to call the FBI. When Stephanopoulos reminded Trump that his own FBI director had said that, yes, you absolutely call the FBI, Trump responded that, quote, the FBI director is wrong. Um, Nick, this is one where it's useful to hear directly from the uh, Trump. So let's go to the tape and listen to his little explanation. Okay. Here we go. Let's put yourself in a position. You're a congressman. Somebody comes up and says, hey, I have information on your opponent. Do you call the FBI? I don't think it's coming from Russia. You do. I've seen a lot of things over my life. I don't think in my whole life I've ever called the FBI. In my whole life, I don't. You don't call the FBI. Life doesn't work. The FBI director says that's what should happen. The FBI director is wrong because, frankly, it doesn't happen like that in life. Your campaign this time around, if foreigners, if Russia, if China, if someone else offers you information on an opponent, should they accept it or should they call the FBI? I think maybe you do both. I think you might want to listen. I don't, there's nothing wrong with listening. If somebody called from a country, Norway, we have information on your opponent. Oh, I think I'd want to hear it. You want that kind of interference in our elections? It's not an interference. They have information. I think I'd take it. All right, say what you will about Trump, but he always makes for an entertaining interview. (laughs) Phil, a lot to break down here. Trump attacks his own Federal Reserve chairman, says his former White House counsel may have lied under oath, says his own FBI director is wrong. Let's start with Trump telling us he'd listen if, say, Norway had some dirt to offer. Reactions. (laughs) I I mean, there's so, you're right, there's so much. We could spend the whole podcast just talking (laughs) about just the stuff he says in this interview. Um... I mean, so I, I, I understand what he's saying, right? Which is to, I, the thing he's, the, the, the situation that he's building up, that he's arguing is, you know, you and I are running against each other for president, Bill, and you are some, I don't know, terrible person who's actually a secret agent for China, right? And a foreign government calls me and tells me this. They're called ninjas. Um, <laughs> <laughs> then, yeah, you would want to listen to that, which is the point he's trying to make. But that's also why you call the FBI, right? That's what the FBI does. You're not the one who should be vetting that or figuring that out. You're, you shouldn't be using it just for personal gain. If there is a real concern about someone, then you hand it over to the FBI and the FBI sorts that out. Yeah. Um, the idea that he's just, I, I mean, I, I, there's a lot, of, a lot of ways to go with this. I mean, one of which is there, there's not, this is not surprising. There's no logical consistency to what he's saying, right? Mm-hmm. He can both at the same time uh, be ranting and raving about no collusion. There's no collusion. There's no collusion. How dare you accuse me of this false, you know, the fake media, all that stuff. While at the same time saying, but if it did happen, I would totally <laughs> listen and take the information. So it, there, it just doesn't, it, it, it doesn't, um, it, it just does, doesn't line up. All of this to me, and then I'll shut yeah. up and let you talk is, you know, we've talked about whether or not, um, we've talked about, impeachment and from lots of different angles and we've talked about it from the political angle and we've talked about it from the sort of importance of it just in principle point of view and on that side in terms of the principle of it that's where i think that this is where it matters right because you have 
the possibility of you know uh, this has happened right a foreign government has interfered with our election and has provided information to a candidate w whether they did anything illegal or not that's that's kind of been established um and now he's saying I'd, I'd do it again and you're in real danger of essentially destroy uh, i was gonna say eroding but destroying that wall mm -hmm. um and i think it's where it's important to say this is this is wrong right this is not acceptable under any circumstances it, this is not a political statement this is not a this is about how we run our democracy and what's important here and so we're going to move forward on it that's why i would like to see some action on a principal front it's where you know justin amash we've talked about it, it doesn't have to be a democratic thing I would like to see more people who say this is this is you know, regardless of what you think of Trump, even if you think Trump is doing great things, this is not right. This should be an easy one. There are a lot of hard ones. There are a lot of hard decisions that a campaign and a president has to make. This is an easy one and a relatively nonpartisan one, where you say no, you call the FBI, right? We don't want a foreign government inter interfering, pre presenting information. There's all sorts of problems with. And there were Republicans, Lindsey Graham and others, who came out the next day and said, you can't do this, his FBI director has done this. Now he went on Fox and Friends the next morning and walked it back a little bit, which is important. I'd report it to law enforcement, absolutely, <laughs> he said to Fox but, News. But the, the beauty of Trump is that when you ask him a question, he either answers it honestly or lies about it. And I think in this instance, what you saw is that this was his honest answer, right? You know, what does he say? Like, no, but you don't call the FBI. I never call. I've, I've seen some stuff. I never call the FBI. You get to see him in his authentic self. And it is, if I got dirt, I'm going to I'm gonna accept it. Um, and it would have been so easy for him just to say, no, call the FBI. Nick? I don't think this one's this. I, yeah. I mean, I understand. From a principled, yeah. a, 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 a principled standpoint, absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In... in any of these situations, you should probably bring law enforcement into the, the discussion. But if we're talking about this being an implication of, you know, guilt or something on his part, it's significantly more nuanced than that. We're talking about, I don't know how many stories that I pawed through saying that this is, you know, the law about this is very straightforward. And then the law itself says... It is unlawful for a foreign national, directly or indirectly, to make a contribution or donation of money or other thing of value or to make an express or implied promise to make a contribution or donation in connection with a federal, state, or local election. There's no monetary value, as far as we know at this point, and we, the definition of a thing of value is pretty amorphous. And this is the, the mm -hmm. defense that they give about anything at the, uh, uh, in this situation. Um, I, I I understand mm -hmm. again the the principled aspect of it, but like this this is, and I don't want to bring Hillary into the discussion this early into the conversation. <laughs> but it's also illegal for candidates themselves to solicit or receive co uh, contributions or things of value from foreign nationals. I, like I, it's it, I again I don't want to talk about her in the dossier, but. She went through a company who went through another entity uh, uh, connected to the DNC that used a foreign intelligence agent to gather information that would, in effect, be beneficial to her and affect the outcome of an election. But there's an important it, distinction there, though, right? There's, there's because it's difference. going one way over the other? Yes, right? That's I mean, it bullshit. Is, no, no, no. It matters. Like, if, if, if Hillary, if a campaign is doing opposition research, which all campaigns do, yes. and in the process reach out to international sources, right? That's different than a foreign government 
presenting you with information, right? It, it we're seems not saying a foreign government. We're saying a foreign national representing a foreign government, right? I mean, it's I, I think I think the directionality matters to some degree. I, I mean, I think you're. I, I think in some ways you're both right. This is where it's all the 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 lines are gray and and shady, and this is. You know the difference between it's okay to do dig up all sorts of background dirt on someone I'm running against to benefit myself, but if someone provides it to me and it helps them, th this is where so much of how our our government works is based on the presumption of good faith mm -hmm. by the actors. And we've talked about this, you know, a number of times over the last couple of years. And this is an example where it it is unclear. You know, it's not it's not highly specific. It's this vague things of value. Um, but it was always just assumed that people had the best interest of the United States in, in, in mind. And so if Russia or China or whatever comes and offers information, um, they wouldn't accept it. But it's based, again, on this presumption that people are going to act in good faith. Right. We need to make mm -hmm. the law more specific and more clear. And don't leave it up to even even the whole idea of foreign nationals but you know it's russia or china which is always the thing we go back to so what if it's england right what if it's britain or france what if it's an ally who in this case doesn't like trump and they want someone else in power because they're worried about what that has to you know how that plays out so it to leave it to leave any sort of ambiguity or any sort of notion of it, it's sort of uh, in the mind of who's getting the information is this a good ally is this an adversary how do I hold, you know, I suppose that's where you hand it regardless over to the FBI and they can sort those things out. Mm -hmm. But then make a law that says that if you're contacted by a foreign national with information during a presidential campaign, you are required by law to contact the FBI. Mm -hmm. Don't leave it up in, in this vague, mm -hmm. like, if you're a good American, we trust that you're going to do this sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And it does create open season for, so if I'm China, Russia, or somebody else who's looking to influence the U.S. election, when Trump says this to Stephanopoulos, this, this is a sign to say, hmm, he's willing to play ball. He's not going to crack down if, if Russia or China, which I'm sure they certainly will, intervene in the election, right? It, it's, it's also signaling there. Even, I think, right, to your point, Nick, politics is a dirty business. Even if you, at the end of the day you're going to accept that information, publicly you have to say, no, I'm not going to do this. And he doesn't even go there. He mm -hmm. says, I, you know, I'd listen. Um, Would you listen about what they have or listen to exactly what they're going to provide and pay them for it? I think that's a distinction. But it doesn't even yeah. have to be paid for, though. I mean, that's it's the the vagueness that you're sort of referencing right. in some ways, right? But if you benefit, uh, yes. like Russia doesn't care about money. They're not doing it for money. They're not doing it for pay. They're doing it because it benefits them um, in some way to undermine American democracy. Or it, it's a sort of mutually beneficial exchange, right? Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah, Did of the, value, right? So Because that's the, the McDougal stuff where the Trump was paying off uh, the Playboy model and and uh, Stormy Daniels, it was of value, right? That was that information was of value mm -hmm. um, in the same way that a f information from foreign national could have value. Would the Steele dossier be considered valuable as it was used to get a FISA warrant? <laughs> Uncorroborated evidence that was used to get a FISA warrant to... I, that's a whole other... That pulls us in a different direction, right? Does it, though? Yeah. That affects the outcome days before the election, pretty much. You're now altering the playing field so in a I, way that tips the balance towards the Clinton campaign. I, I think there's an important difference in that the, the Clinton administration or any, you know, Clinton campaign, um, you know, was doing what 
what all campaigns do, which is trying to find stuff about their candidate that they can use in an election. Agreed. When they found something potentially problematic, they did turn it over. Did they? Were they the ones who turned it over? No, it was McCain no. that ended McCain up turning it over. McCain eventually, yeah. So, so, you know, actually, I, that, actually uh, Steele reached out to the FBI. I think he might have been the first one to share right. the information. That's right. Um, so I that, but I, I think there's something different between Hillary Clinton trying to, you know, find information that is useful in a campaign that they're running versus Russia or a foreign country reaching out and saying, here's information. But the the difference is not it's not a black and white difference mm-hmm. right i mean this this is the the crap that is our elections which is the, that we're trying to dig up all sorts of dirt right. that there's just billions of dollars involved that it drags on forever i mean it it the fact that we have to sort of you know pick apart nuances mm-hmm. reveals that there is a bigger problem with how we run our elections mm-hmm. and that that should be easy legislation to pass to say any any information uh, from a foreign source or connected to a force needs to be disclosed, right? And that's that's an easy thing. They disclose tons and tons of things. That's not a big deal. But it should be easy, and it is easy. Are two very different things, right? right? Exactly. Right. In yeah. this case, you have Republicans who are trying to protect Trump. You have Trump who doesn't want to see it done. You have everyone of both parties who benefits from all of this money involved in politics and from this, you know, this system that is in place. You have the people who are doing the research that benefit it. So, uh, yeah. You're right. It, in a perfect world, it should be a slam dunk, easy thing to pass. But mm-hmm. I don't expect to see anything like that actually go through the system anytime soon. Mm-hmm. And the amount of information that's going to be coming in this time should be way larger than 2016, given that foreign nationals or foreign governments know that they can still do this. And we've talked about this before, the ability to manipulate and create fake information, all of this. Like, it's it's going to be very, very, very messy. Mm-hmm. Nick, Nick, looks like you're going through some data. Oh, no, I'm just I'm, I'm looking for something. Please continue. Yeah, yeah. The other thing that struck me about Trump's reaction to this is I'm more and more convinced that Trump is entirely centered on domestic politics. That's all that matters to him, right? Mm -hmm. The enemy is who's running against him. The enemy is not Russia or China. Those things he's kind of indifferent to to foreign policy and foreign nationals because the true enemy is Hillary Clinton, who got bashed in his uh, his campaign event last night, uh, and will continue, and whoever the Democratic candidate is. Like, those are the real enemies. He even said it last night, that the Democratic Party is the enemy. They're dangerous. They're going to ruin your way of life. Um, It's a really curious way of thinking about it. I I would say probably kind of a dangerous way to frame this to say that the enemy is within it's no longer those you know it used to be that uh, politics stopped at the water's edge and i think trump is suggesting that's not the case anymore what go ahead phil i mean that frames everything else that we've i mean that explains everything Mm -hmm. else we've been talking about right the how do you filter you know north korea iran france whoever if they are on Trump's side in that battle, then they're an ally. And if they're yeah. so, if they benefit him in that battle against Democrats, then they're good. And if they don't, they're they're um, they're bad. And so, I, I mean, I think that, but but that is also a trend that has been happening in American politics for a long time, right? This demonization of the other. If you think that the Democrats are worse than North Korea, or you think the Republicans are worse than Iran, then right. you're going to end up with some really screwed up policy yeah. and some really right. screwed up politics, right? And it feels like we've been going down that road for a long time, but mm-hmm. it feels like Trump has just really kind of 
you know, gone all in on that, or he is the personification of that trend that has been happening for a long time. Well, it doesn't seem like there's any pushback from the opposing side either. They seem to have really latched onto that as well. You don't hear a lot about foreign policy coming from Democratic candidates at this point. It is Trump is the issue that we need to deal with. He's the enemy. His supporters are dumb as shit, mm -hmm. and we need to fundamentally change this or your way of life is going to be destroyed. Yeah. I, I, I agree. I think it's horrible. I think he gave voice to something that has been, like you said, Phil, has been there for years at this point, decades. Um, but the Democrats aren't doing themselves any favors in perpetuating that. I mean, it may potentially be good electorally, but it's not going to do our system any favors. Absolutely. But, but you're right. Both sides are not playing off this dynamic. So Democrats are running on that. We have to get Trump out of office. He is an existential threat to the democracy. Joe Biden is saying that. Mm -hmm. And Trump is making the exact opposite Sleepy argument. Jew. Yeah, that, that you can't, if, if the Democrats get the power, get power back, they are going to take your, your life away. They're going to, they're going to take away all that we've won. And he was using that kind of language last night. It creates a world where losing an election is unacceptable mm -hmm. right. because the consequences are so terrible. You'd rather, to Phil's point, you'd rather ally with, with Russia than with the Democrats. Uh, Take information, refuse to leave office. All these things that are that yes. were seen as beyond the pale before become acceptable in this battle against evil. Right. right? It, it's, it's better to deal with Putin than to, be, than to deal with the Democrats. Uh, yeah. That is a really scary place for a democracy to be. Um, yeah. How, what, what, how are we doing on on time? I, don't, I didn't. You're pay good. Attention We're good. We, we got yeah another Go five ahead. or so minutes. Yeah. So can I, I? This was not part of the original prompt, but we we have sort of touched on it off air a couple of times. And and you you know you mentioned the the upcoming elections and Joe Biden and whatnot. Joe Biden has this idea that when Trump is gone, things are going to go back to normal, oh, right? No. That the party, yeah. <laughs> that the Republican Party, will become more. Uh, you know, whatever, more sane or or, or whatever. Um, and there are other candidates within the field who see it differently, right? Who see this as essentially the, this is Trump isn't an anomaly. He is, you know, uh, the state, he is representative of the state of the Republican party. Uh, is, is Joe Biden's idea that when Trump is gone, the Republican party will become a little more sane. Um, is that... What, what do you think about that? Is that is that noble? Is that like he's you know the, this idea of he's not demonizing the other. He's not trying to say that all Republicans are evil. He thinks that hey you know Trump is this kind of fever, and when it breaks, things will go back to normal. Or uh, do you think he's naive to say that? I, I think he's pretty naive because we've built up stupid is the word. <laughs> <laughs> or, or strategic right i think he's it, it's it it's useful for a campaign i don't know if in his heart of hearts he really believes it. i don't even know if it's useful as a for a campaign at this point i i, yeah. I mean i it's if trump loses regardless of of you know the the outcome or, or who the the democratic candidate is um his supporters don't go away mm -hmm. and vice versa if trump wins the democrats don't simply go away this is going to just gnaw at this wound that is just festering for years at this point and no one seems to be able to bring us back from from the brink mm -hmm. um there are no sane heads in 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 the room there are no adults in the room whether we're talking about the trump administration or the democratic party everybody is just in this constant escalation of of rhetoric and and just vitriol and i i to think that the the underlying causes that 
brought Trump to the forefront have gone away and that you're all of a sudden going to now suppress them mm-hmm. when they've been given voice, both legitimately and, and, you know, illegitimate voices that have come to the forefront. It's just not going to happen. And you will lose if that's the campaign that you run. And I think this is an important point. We've created institutions that benefit from that system persisting, mm-hmm. whether we're talking about the media coverage, electoral seats. I mean, the, we've talked a lot about, Phil, about the Republican Party has shifted to become the Trump Party. And, and those individuals, don't, they're still in office. They're not going to go away. Fox News isn't going to go away. MSNBC isn't going to go away. So there's so it. I hope it calms. A lot of this will fall on Biden to try to calm the rhetoric. But I would assume that Fox News would continue to attack him and, and put make Biden into an existential threat because that's good for business. Uh, oh, I don't know. I would hope it, it would move in a more positive direction, but I think I think this persists for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I tend to I tend to agree. I think that the this particular manifestation, this sort of Trumpism aspect of it, might go away. But the underlying factors that have led the party to embrace Trumpism, which is this tremendous partisan partisanship, right? That the the demonization of the other, you know, that that ties into. I mean, that's been that's been brewing my whole life, right? I mean, I think back to when I was a kid, and it, that's that's tied to, you know, Rush Limbaugh and Fox News, and it's tied to you know the again the animosity against the Clintons. It's it, there's just a lot of stuff that goes into that. So, what? What was what has been surprising to me in the whatever two and a half years of of the Trump uh, um, administration is I, you know I, w- I was a little surprised at how much the Republican Party has sort of fallen in line with what seemed to be kind of unusual policies right mm-hmm. they're not they're not traditionally Republican conservative policies. But that what that reveals to me is that partisanship, right? The fact that Fox News, who was so opposed to Trump early on, got so fully behind him, right? But the Mitch McConnell's that that partisanship, I think, is is there. And that is where, you know, he I think Biden could be right in that Trump goes away and this particular brand of conservatism might go away. But that sort of heated kind of feverish anti-democratic partisan like us versus the mentality isn't going to change mm-hmm. whoever the next republican nominee is or whoever the next leader of the republican party is you'll have the same thing the same kind of features the anti-democrat we're not going to work together and again that that's not, you know that's true on both sides i think yeah. but um, i see it i think it's particularly uh, clear on the republican side it struck me today marco rubio was tw- or either last night or this morning was tweeting out images and pictures from trump's rally last night you know make america great again and i thought oh my goodness like you know it was uh, marco rubio was one of the few that was critical of trump and his behavior and now he's come full circle he's on board he's a proponent and if that's the case you know lindsey graham also a one-time critic is now on board these are individuals that Trump mocked and belittled, and now they are supporters of the president. Uh, it's it, yeah, I, I think this it, this sticks. Putin is better than Hillary Clinton. It's the same. It's the yeah. same logic, right? So so Donald Trump can mock you, and you can disagree with everything he says. But as much as you might dislike him or think that he has bad policies, he is still better than the enemy, right? He's still better than Democrats, and so that's that's where you get this this mentality, and I, that mentality exists on on the other side as well. The only thing I, I see that could change the dynamic is if Trump did, if, if there was some sort of grand shaming, something is revealed about something and he's done. If, if Trump goes
goes down in flames. That's the only kind of catharsis that I think could could calm and move the country in another direction, where we just where nobody wants to be associated with him. It, it, it's tough, Nick. It but would it's have possible. to be what, so so right. bad. He's what capable of that, right? <laughs> so what? Like, what would be the grand shaming right. that would break the surface if if paying porn stars and like <laughs> dealing with like making deals with Russia and like all this other stuff if that hasn't done it? Well, there also At is this a point. Fa- I'm not convinced there is anything. Like, mm-hmm. what is the thing? I think there's I think there's fatigue with Trump, and we're what are we? We're two and a half years in. Think about another, I mean, as this election occurs, and maybe even after the election, Trump's not going, let's say Trump loses. He jumps over and creates his own network or whatever, he's on Fox News, he will still be a presence. There there may be some fatigue with that approach, where people eventually just say, enough, you know. Maybe a McCarthy kind of response, where people say, have you no decency? It's a long shot, but I think that's the one thing that might move the country in a different direction. I don't know. I, I think there's there's a huge block of the country that is still extremely yes. supportive of him. 20,000 people at that rally Waited the other day. Waited in line Waited from in 8 a.m. to get in there. In thunderstorms. Yes. Old people, too. Lots of old people down in it Florida. Was, it was raining. It was raining. Ooh. Yeah. They don't like the rain, too. That should it's tell you something. It's hot humid. Yeah. I bet that, that arena didn't smell real good. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Warm Floridians. <laughs> oh, God. Warm, wet Floridians. <laughs> Ugh. Um, I, 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 as much as we make fun of it, it's there's there's a huge block that likes yep. they may not like his approach to it but they like at least some of the results that they've seen he's still fighting for them he's still yep. fighting for them they and i i think that you know the the demonizing of of the other goes a long way yep. but at the same time again no one has kind of no one has ever spoken like this whether he's lying or not he's different than every other politician who you know is lying to you this is this is fundamentally different. This is a turning point in political discourse and how we conduct ourselves in the political realm. And I don't think there's a way to come back from that. Mm-hmm. And people, there are a lot of people who like this over everything that we've had previously, and that's not going to go away. I saw some really interesting data last night looking at the Electoral College breakdown, and they were looking at and they were suggesting that it's possible that whoever the Democratic nominee was would win, instead of by 3 million votes, could win the popular vote by 5 million votes. Because uh, the turnout would be closer in Texas. Uh, California would be off the off the charts. But that Trump could still win the presidency, mm-hmm. uh, and that the way the numbers play out, uh, he, you know, if he wins Wisconsin, and there's a, that that could happen. That the the popular vote could be dramatically for the Democratic candidate, and he still ekes out mm-hmm. a uh, electoral college victory. You know, think about divisive. Oh, indicators are showing that are the you know we're a long ways out, but lots of the indicators seem to. Lots of the predictions seem to think there could be like two thirds turnout, which yeah. would be massive. Um, which we yeah. don't even know how that plays out in terms of actual. Right. There's yeah. not a chance in hell. It's just that's not going to happen. I I, I I don't think so. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be really. We should talk mm-hmm. beer. Yes, uh, Phil. What, what are you enjoying? So I'm drinking. Um, this is from Foam Brewers out of Burlington, Vermont. This is their beer called Canvas. It's their American Pale Ale, uh, and this is it's um, it's excellent. This is really good. Uh, it is. I don't. It's it's like super light in color. It's it's real hazy, but it's not even. Well, it's like know, lemonade. Even, yeah. 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 Um, very very pale, uh, and you know the 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 head on the beer was was weirdly. I don't know. I, I don't know. It wasn't like a typical uh, foamy head. Um, 
but it's really good. A little tart, a little kind of sour, mm. but it's real citrusy. I, I've said before, I, I I really like the American pale ales. I you know I've done lots of IPAs and I've tried the double IPAs, which I've they've grown on me a little bit, but I still tend to drift a little bit more towards the you know the kind of American pale ale side of it. This was this was just really good. It's not light like a lager, but it's not heavy. Um, I would I would gladly drink more of these. Mm. Nick, what are we enjoying? We are having a classic Stiegel uh, grapefruit Rattler. Um, I like is, that can. I yeah. know, right? From Austria. Is it actually from Austria? Yeah. Where is it actually Salzburg, from? Austria. Yep. <laughs> Austria, New York. Um, <laughs> uh, this is just good. Yeah. I always enjoy this one. It's just a nice, light, lightly sweet summer beer. Um it's, not even, it's it's more like juice than beer, honestly, and I could drink about ten of these right now. It's just so good. It, it really is. It's just a it, it is a outdoor in the afternoon, enjoying a beer, keeping all your faculties with you. I, I feel really sharp, Nick. Sometimes those double IPAs <laughs> they make your head a little foggy. No, I'm not. when we talk about Sarah Sanders, I'm ready. Oh boy, <laughs> but no, this is uh, it's just it's like you said, it's it's grapefruit, but not over over the top. It's just a uh, these are wonderful summer beers. They are very yeah. good. Um, if you guys want to check out the beers that we have on the podcast, um, find us on Untapped that you can download on iOS or Android. Uh, just look for Barstool Politics on there, and you will find all of our reviews. All right, speed round. Yes, sir. So White House Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders announced last Thursday that she'll be leaving the Trump administration at the end of the month. The announcement came on the 94th, <clears throat> 94th day since she held last held a press briefing. Uh, she presided over a fundamental transformation of the relationship between the executive branch and the press. Unlike her predecessor, Sean Spicer, who always seemed a bit awkward in the role, Sanders was a natural. She was the perfect press secretary for Trump and seemed to relish every moment, every fight, and if we're honest, every lie. Uh, Sanders was someone who would defend anything the president said without the slightest hesitation or reservation. She was a true believer. She has said that she hopes to be remembered as being a, quote, transparent and honest press secretary. That might be asking That's a bit insane. much. <laughs> yes. Uh, yet she will not soon be forgotten. Phil, when they write the history of the Trump administration, I think it's likely that Sarah Huckabee Sanders will play a fairly prominent role. Uh, what's your reaction to her leaving and her legacy? Um, you know, I, she is to me in, in some ways, she kind of fits this mold of what we've been talking about, right? Uh, if, if, if the opposite, if politics is a kind of a winner-take-all thing, and it's good versus evil, right versus wrong, us versus them, then the tactics you use become, you know, anything becomes appropriate in this grand battle for for good. Um, and she seems to, you know, personify that as well. You know, lying isn't... <laughs> it's, it's still lying, but it's somehow it doesn't seem so bad if you're, if you're you know... When you're lying to... to to pick like the great evil that we think of if you're lying to like nazi officers to try to you know in some way better the war effort then that's not you know lying's not bad in that situation i think if you start you know viewing the whole thing as as this great good versus evil it, it starts to make more sense i i think if, if we look 50 years if we get in a time machine and go 50 years down the road um her legacy is not she's not gonna she's not going to come out of this looking good right that i think history will remember her very poorly for the way that she approached this the more the the more important question for me is whether or not her legacy is effective so i i think that people will remember her like history will remember her negatively she did not hold press conferences she openly and you know like blatantly told lies um but 
the question is, does she shape the 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 role of press secretary or the 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 relationship between the the administration and the press moving forward? Um, and and I could have I, I meant to we could have talked about this in the last time, which is you know that's the other question about about Trump. His his approach was so successful last time, this kind of antagonistic, negative, you know, attacking whatever. And it'll be it'll be interesting to see if other people pull from that playbook or not. And that's kind of my my question moving forward here is. Uh, whether this kind of negative legacy is impactful or not. That's a good, good What point. do you think? Yeah. We'll know pretty quickly whoever if whoever the next president, non-Trump president is, if they go back, are they going to have daily press briefings? I mean, that was the old standard. Or do they say, you know what? The Trump policy of, of having random press uh, briefings every once in a while on your terms with only certain outlets, boy, that allows you to shape the message. If that happens, I think it's uh, it's a loss. But you're right; it is it is effective. Mm-hmm. Nick, what's your what's your sense? I, I mean, I think we'll see kind of that middle ground, like mm-hmm. you said. I, I I don't see this method of governance going away anytime soon. I think it'll be um, in terms of uh, press involvement, it'll be slightly more uniform than it is now. Um, maybe not a daily press briefing, but enough to placate, um, but not enough to have them. Uh, run the narrative. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, 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 regardless of what you think of of Sarah, um, I, I think she. Some pushback against the press isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, she might have taken it to the umpteenth level, mm-hmm. um, but I think people uh, or um, members of the administration and people in uh, the federal government in general have, like you guys have said, have seen how effective it is. Um, and there are people that are significantly more, uh, I don't know if capable is the right word, but nuanced and, and uh, crafty with how that they, they can use this to their advantage um, compared to uh, Huckabee Sanders. Uh, and it could be an, an exceedingly effective tool moving I think so. forward. I think so. The compar- comparison for me is between Sean Spicer and Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Spicer was a cartoon figure. He was he was an idiot, right? His suits didn't fit right. He didn't know how to do this authentically. She came in and she embraced that oh, she role. Was a yeah, and and was very good at it. I, I think she's done a lot of damage, and we will see what happens afterwards. I, I think the legacy isn't good unless this is the direction we move. I, I can't help but think about what's going on in Poland right now. What's going on in Hungary? Where you know those are democracies where. The free press has been limited, where you now basically have government press that's driving the narrative. If we end up in that direction, it's 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 troubling. I would also say that the United States is the model for free press around the world. And Sarah Huckabee Sanders has enabled a lot of authoritarian regimes to say, if the United States isn't doing press briefings, if they can call it fake news, we can do the same thing. And I think that that's a legacy that is not not one to be proud of. It, it, it's an example, I'm gonna beat a dead horse, which is the, you know the same themes that we talked about in the last topic, which is that the, what the Trump administration is doing is like you were saying, Nick, it's, it's, there's, a kernel of, uh, there's a kernel of it, at the core of it is something that has been you know, at the heart of the political process for a long time, which is, you know, in this case, the, the press secretary spins, or you, know, you don't tell outright lies, but you, you shape the narrative the way you want. You're not just being open and honest, right? I mean, the press secretaries have a role. But it's the Trump administration has taken that to this. You know, they've just they're just op- flat out open about it, right? They just take that to the to the to the end of its. You know, they just go down the um, 
the spectrum even further. And the reason they are they can get away with that is the stuff we've talked about before, which is that the system was based on goodwill, right? That a press secretary, yeah, you spend things the way you want, but at the core of it, you believe in a free press. And it worked. Um, you know, we all you know, lots of elements of the Constitution and our laws are just based on, hey, everyone agrees with this notion that the press is good, and you know, you need to spend it your way. But but in general, you want to work with the press. But but if you have someone who comes along who doesn't believe that, the system breaks down in all sorts of ways. And think about how it used to be that these daily press briefings would oftentimes set the news cycle. Whatever happened in that interaction would be the news. They've gotten rid of that, and now Trump sets the news cycle every day. He's up at 5.36 in the morning. He's tweeting, and we're talking about what he's doing as opposed yeah. to the media asking hard questions. It, I think you're right. It's, it's an effective strategy, uh, and I think future administrations may be tempted to embrace it but i also mm-hmm. think there's there's a big downside to it i i think about the you know when people go back and, and rate presidencies um we've really gotten away from that when we first started the speed rounds we were like at five minutes the bell goes off we're done <laughs> mm-hmm. we, we really speaking of eroding norms <laughs> yes, that's that right. was really eroding. slowly um, but i think about uh, i'll i'm gonna say this anyway when i think about the rating <laughs> of presidents you know that historians or whatever look back and rate presidents and it feels like there's two different ways that you can talk about a president you can talk about a president as being great and you can talk about a president as being important, right? Mm-hmm. And so someone can be important without being great. And that's where I think this is where I, no one's going to remember Sarah Huckabee Sanders as great in the in the sort of, you know, did good and improved the office and, and all of that stuff. But I think people might look back at her and think of her as important, right? This kind of key yeah. uh, point in, in how the, the, the role evolves. Deeply consequential in terms mm-hmm. of things going forward. That's good. Indeed. Yeah. All right, let's jump. Uh, we're going to go back we're going to go back and forth between domestic and international. We're uh, talking about Iran now. Tensions have once again flared between the United States and Iran. It started when two oil tankers were attacked in the Gulf of Oman. Attacks that the United States provided video evidence to place the blame firmly on Iran. Then on Monday, Iran said it would soon be forced to bre- uh, breach a key element of the 2015 nuclear accord unless European nations agreed to help halt the crippling economic sanctions the US has placed on Iran. Specifically, Iran has said that it will begin producing and stockpiling low-enriched uranium, currently not allowed by the 2015 accord. Around the same time, President Trump ordered another 1,000 troops to the Middle East and publicly vowed that Iran would not be allowed to develop a nuclear weapon. Just to remind everyone, Trump pulled the U.S. out of the accord last year and reimposed sanctions on Iran and anyone who buys oil from Iran. Phil, in our previous conversations, we've talked about how easy it is to stumble into war. Sure feels like we took another step closer this week. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I mean, this is, you know, the, the escalating tensions. I, 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 I'm i having a little bit of a hard time uh, kind of filtering through all the noise to figure out what exactly is happening and who exactly is responsible and, and all of that. But... The big picture, I think, is is what you are saying, which is that in all of this, you know, noise and back and forth and sort of attacking the other, you know, in both ways, I think each day the sort of as the tensions rise, um, the odds I, I'm not saying that it makes us more likely to go to war with them, but the odds of some event, some sort of random event that is a miscalculation or or maybe it's not even a miscalculation. The, the, the odds of something happening that sparks war, um, it does seem like that's more likely. Um, I, which, again, I, there's, there's lots of stuff you can talk about, which is that the U.S. is antagonizing Iran. Iran is antagonizing mm-hmm. the U.S., right? Iran's not, they're, they're antagonizing the whole region. 
Um, there, there is a lot of blame to sort of go around here, but when I step back from it, I can't help but think that the current situation we're in does not call for war. Like, war does not benefit either side in this situation. And yet it feels like, I don't, I don't know through what sort of turn of events, it feels like we're kind of, you know, pushing each other back and forth in this kind of one-up, uh, one-upmanship that might be getting us closer to it, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I, I understand how it's happening, but it doesn't make logical sense. I wonder whether if Trump is starting to feel a little trapped by this, because Trump even said the other day he does not want war with Iran. He just doesn't want him to get a nuke. Uh, but there are there are individuals, hardliners on both sides who are pushing this narrative, whether it's Pompeo or uh, what's his name? Mustache Man. Um, Bolton. Bolton. Yes. Uh, in the United States or the hardliners in Iran who are pushing. Right. It feels like Trump might be caught here. Mm-hmm. Nick, what's your sense? It's... I, I don't know. I, when you talk about war, especially in this situation, um, from the perspective of the U.S., you have zero public support for this at all. Mm-hmm. Um, after two wars that have taken the better part of 20 years at this point, no one wants to see that. And I think if there was any sort of major incident or incident um, between the U.S. and Iran um, or Iran with one of our allies, it would have to be a monumental event for us to agree to a ground incursion into Iran um, that it would be unprecedented um, at the same time I I still I look at this and still think that Iran was as much as I, I'm generally in favor of a reasonable diplomatic way of finding a solution to problems like this the problem of Iran specifically they don't play by the rules at all. And like you said, Phil, they continue to agonize the U.S. and the region um, and anybody else who comes in contact with them. I have no doubt. Well, I kind of have a... I'm, I almost have no doubt that they were the ones who attacked the uh, the oil tankers. They definitely shot down uh, several U.S. drones. And regardless of what you think of the nuclear deal, they have no intention of following the rules anymore. And if you're talking about crippling economic sanctions that are affecting your people, your people can't eat fucking uranium. I understand what the point is, but you you only have this one card to play. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if you took the more, from an internal perspective, from an internal Iranian perspective, if you took the more diplomatic road and stuck to the agreement and, and said that there's no reason to be doing this, you would be getting more a broad international support for your cause as opposed to continuing to go down this road of antagonism to where your only option is, well, we're going to build a nuclear weapon and then we're going to see what's going to happen. I, I do think the sequencing matters here, though, right? I mean, you're right that the, the Iran is drifting now to not follow the rules. But for a long time, they were following the rules of the of the 2015 Accord. Horribly written. It was, but it was the United States who, who withdrew and said, we're no longer going to play by those rules. Correct. We're going to put sanctions on you and then tell any other country that wants to trade with you, we're going to sanction them, mm-hmm. them, but you still need to abide by these rules, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, so that was the United States flipped the game and said, we're going to, you got to keep the same status quo, but we're going to put more pressure on you. It's it's not to defend what they're doing, but it makes perfect sense. The only Their only option left now is to lash out. And I expect we're going to see more of this as a way of raising the cost and maybe scaring Trump to say, I don't want to get in a war in Iran, so I, I got to drift away. 
Well, this is where the mis the miscalculation comes in, I think, because so we can tie together lots of the things we've talked mm -hmm. about today, which is that we, we talked in the first topic about how Trump doesn't really have a foreign policy. I think Trump, you know, Trump's foreign policy is about what benefits him and what plays well with the base and, and all of that. And I feel like Trump likes the game. He likes the sort of antagonism, the back and forth. The same thing he's doing in domestic politics with Democrats is what he started off doing with North Korea. I feel like that's what he's doing with Iran. And I think the, the sort of what's actually on the other end of that antagonism is not real to him, right? Mm -hmm. It's an abstraction, right? He, he can just be, he can lash out at Iran and, and the, the reality of like a war with Iran or what's happening in Iran, I don't think that's actually, you know, playing out in his head at all. He's just doing what Donald Trump does, mm -hmm. which is to, you know, do this kind of fiery back and forth. The problem is that you mix that with Iran, where you have a regime that is not particularly popular domestically um, in, in Iran, right? They're not necessarily representative of the Iranian people as a whole, um, and who, for Iran, the antagonism with the United States is an excuse for this kind of hardline approach. Um, and, you know, you can, you can play all sorts of cards about security and about how the U.S. is looking at to attack them. And so... The, I think you know Trump is is eating up the rhetoric in some ways, but the the rhetoric that he's using either plays into or forces the hand of of this sort of hardline administration in a way that I can see. Uh, again, no one wants it, no one intends it, but I can see it sort of going down that road in which you're you're exactly right. Both sides kind of get backed into a corner, and and even though nobody wants it, that's where we end up. You think about the history of U.S. wars. A lot of them started when a U.S. ship gets sunk, right? Whether right. The Gulf of Tonkin is <laughs> right. awfully familiar. Yeah. Lusitania, World War One, you know, right. Pearl Harbor. I mean, so these are things where I mean, I, two commercial ships don't matter. But what was his name? Uh, Tom Cotton from Arkansas. That's his name, right? Tom Cotton. Yep. yep. Senator from Arkansas came out and said we should sink the Iranian Navy for this. These these are two commercial ships. They're not even. I think they're Japanese ships. Right. And right. he's ready to go to war with the Navy for this, right? There are real consequences to this. So. I'm guessing Trump is, a, is, you're right that he loves the rhetoric, he loves the game, but he's got to be a little worried about where this is all drifting. I'm not sure he worries that much. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> i got a rally to go to. That's true. You're right. All right, let's jump back to domestic politics. So last Thursday, an independent government agency recommended that President Trump fire Kellyanne Conway, his White House counselor, for repeated violations of an ethics law barring partisan politics from the federal workplace. In a letter accompanying the report, the agency called Mrs. Conway a, quote, repeat offender of the Hatch Act, which prohibits federal employees from engaging in campaign politics at work, saying that her flagrant defiance of the law justified her dismissal from the White House. The agency is headed by Henry Kerner, a Trump appointee and well-established conservative. Kerner noted that, quote, as a highly visible member of the administration, Ms. Conway's violations, if left unpunished, send a message to all federal employees that they need not abide by the Hatch Act's restrictions. Her actions erode the principal foundation of our democratic system, the rule of law, unquote. At issue are Ms. Conway's media appearances attacking Democrats running for the party's nomination to challenge Trump. Uh, Trump has dismissed the recommendation, suggesting that firing Conway would be a violation of her right to free speech. Can't argue with that, Phil. Um, <laughs> I must say that this story just really bothered me. A nonpartisan government agency headed by a Trump appointee says that a high-ranking advisor has repeatedly violated the law, and the president shrugs his shoulders, and we all accept this as the new normal. Phil, 
norm violation. Do you yeah. find this troubling? <laughs> I do, I do. Uh, well, and uh, there's a there's a number of elements of it that I find troubling. One of which is Kellyanne Conway's reaction, which is when asked about it, she said, "What's the hat?" I think she said, "What's the Hatch Act? What's that again?" She's been she, because she has violated this the Hatch Act numerous times. She has been counseled on what the Hatch Act is and what she can and can't <laughs> well, say. She's so good. So it's just bullshit when yeah. she says, "What is that?" Right? It's just this smug like the rules don't apply to us. I mean, this is where you know you want to go the other direction from what I've been arguing before, which is you make the law is clear this this is there actually is a law that's pretty clear and they're just not you know they're they're just not gonna buy they're ignoring it <laughs> um you know so here's the I'll, I'll throw a little comparative politics in about why this matters it might seem dumb that if kellyanne conway says joe biden is stupid it shouldn't matter but the reason i mean the reason why this this is in place is that in order to uh, basically what you don't want happening is that you don't want um, a politician using the power and resources of office to get reelected. So they get reelected on their policies and whatnot, but they don't, you know, an extreme, there are extreme examples of this. I mean, the, the pre, the, the, the revolutionary party in Mexico was famous. They've stayed in power for 70 years. Um, they were famous for doing this. They used, there was no separation between essentially the party coffers and the state coffers, right? You could, you would use economic policy to directly not not hey our voters like this economic policy so we're going to put it in place but i'm going to put economic policy in place that directly benefits voters in order to get me mm -hmm. you know it, you know, real reelected i'm going to use the power of office i'm going to use you know official government you know if if pbs started uh, you know making official endorsements of candidates you know if they were co-opted by the president for their personal gain that's where you start getting into all sorts of you know uh, um all sorts of problems, degradation of of the the legitimacy of institutions. So it might seem small for Kellyanne Conway to say <clears throat> Biden is bad, but the 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 way down that road um, is is really problematic. And so I you know I would like to keep them clean, right? Yeah. Talk about Donald Trump all you want, talk about policy all you want, but don't use the spokes, you know, the 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 sort of the um, the megaphone of office to benefit your political you know, party or whatever. I, I, I realize precedent. it's yeah. weird. It's a weird, you know, it's a weird gray fuzzy area again. Yeah. Nick? Here's why this is a piece of shit legislation. The Hatch Act? Yeah. I'll tell you why. <clears throat> it was passed in 1939 and it was brought forward by, um, oh God, he's from New Mexico. Hatch, right? Correct? Um, See the guy that makes the chili sauce? Because that's good. Yes. Like that's those. where Hatch <laughs> Chili comes from. Very good. Um, yeah, it was sponsored by him as a revolt against FDR. He's a Democrat, a New Mexico Democrat, um, who uh, uh, it, it was, uh, there were allegations that the, uh, the Workers for Progress Administration, which is one of FDR's uh, New Deal relief agencies, had promised jobs and promotions to workers in exchange for supporting the Democratic candidates or party. Yep. Um, this is a, a distinction between, um, this whole thing is a distinction between coercive and voluntary uh, speech. The ACLU, the American uh, Federation of uh, Labor, and other you know groups associated with the Democratic Party opposed this because they agreed you shouldn't trade jobs for vote or for votes, but you also shouldn't limit expression. Supreme Court justices, um, there, were, there was a case in '47. Um, upholding Hatch, but uh, it was William Douglas, uh, Douglas who dissented, uh, saying that um, prohibiting political speech, uh, or to, to prohibit political speech, uh, the state should have to demonstrate a clear and present danger to the operations of government. I don't see that here. 
I really don't. She's not telling anyone that they should lose their job for not supporting Trump or any other similar situation like that. So, Moreover, how about the other people? How about Kathleen Sebelius when she uh, faced similar accusations in 2012 for supporting Obama? Or Julian Castro when he endorsed Hillary as secretary of HUD in 2016? Like, I, why, is, why is this the person that we're going after right now? It's interesting because it, well, a couple things. One, I mean, Congress, if they don't like the law, they could remove that, right? So th- that's up to them. But if the law is in place and then you've got a watchdog agency, and it's important to note that this guy was a Trump appointee. He's on the Federalist Society. This isn't some liberal hack here. This is somebody who's a staunch conservative who's making an argument and a persuasive argument to say that, the conduct of of Kellyanne Conway is in violation of this law. But the law itself is flawed from the get-go. Hatch even said that he, if he could, he would draw a line between coercive and voluntary speech. But he didn't think that was possible, so we need to get rid of all of it. I, I, I don't know. But, I, go ahead, Phil. But, yeah, I mean, you wouldn't in other circumstances argue that, hey, that law is flawed, so we don't have to abide by it. Right? No, I agree. The law, you Change it? the law. I agree. So, so, I mean, I, you could think of uh, there would be other situations, I think, in which you would be uncomfortable or unhappy with it. If if Barack Obama's secretary of defense had said, you know, in the, near the last election, if you elect Donald Trump, um, you know, instead of Hillary Clinton, you have to elect Hillary Clinton or America's going to be destroyed. We're, you know, we're going to get this going to be terrible for the military. The only like good American, you know, pro-military thing, all all military officials should vote for Hillary Hillary Clinton. If you are enrolled, if you are enlisted in the military, you will be, you know, it, you you have to vote for um, Hillary Clinton because Donald Trump is terrible. That that would be awful, right? That wouldn't you wouldn't that would be not good. Right? I, I mean, I don't no, I don't think it would be good, but again, I I think that there's a distinction between an actual threat and hyperbole. I agree. I would not be comfortable with that, but I I don't necessarily think it's worthwhile to necessarily remove someone for their or from their position because but of they've it. never done this in the history of the organization There's, they've never suggested that somebody at this high level be fired for that so it suggests that her conduct has to be excessive right and and again not a liberal hack repeated, who's repeated violations right being made aware of this so if this is a, a trump appointee who's st- standing firm on this I, I think there's some evidence to suggest that you know this is a big deal but it, it won't be a big deal you know, no. it's, it was a two-day story. It's already not a big deal. Right. right. The people, the listeners are going, what, what, why are they talking yeah. about the Hatch Act? <laughs> All right, let's talk about Hong Kong because that's an interesting one. All right, shifting to Hong Kong where its chief executive, Carrie Lam, apologized Tuesday for proposing a controversial extradition bill that sparked a massive protest last week. Uh, but she stopped short of withdrawing the legislation altogether. Uh, she promised on Saturday to indefinitely suspend the extradition legislation, which would allow a person arrested in Hong Kong to face trial outside the semi-autonomous city-state, most notably in mainland China. The bill is contentious because many Hong Kong residents see this as another attempt by Beijing to tighten its control over Hong Kong, which has its own uh, judicial and political system under the one country, two system doctrine. The size of the protest has been stunning. Phil, if we put these protests in a broader context, we see a population trying to halt the advance of a hegemonic power. In 1997, Britain handed Hong Kong back over to China on the condition that the territory be allowed to govern itself for the next 50 years under the principle one country, two systems. I'm not so sure China's willing to wait the full 50 years. What's your read on all of this? 
So I saw somebody, uh, I saw a report today that said that's, what was it? It was like 25%. The estimation was that 25% of the population of Hong Kong was out protesting, which is like unbelievable. Two two million people, which would make it the largest protest in modern history, which is, uh, that's, that's remarkable. Um, so, I mean, I, 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 I totally understand if I lived in Hong Kong, I would be the idea of, Hey, if China wants me to face trial in China, they can, I sent, I can be sent to China from Hong Kong and I have to go through that ju- legal system instead of the Hong Kong legal system. I get why they would be pissed off about it. Um, I guess here's my, here's my question is, is that this seems inevitable, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is, this is China is going to take over Hong Kong. Um, I mean, this is the path it's going. So this is, you know, this is a delay tactic, I guess. But I guess I, I maybe I don't. Maybe one of you two knows the, the the situation. I don't know the details of the the sovereignty agreement between the two. But the handover, which was, you know, on the assumption that China would, you know, let Hong Kong rule itself. If China decides not to do that, nobody's doing anything no. about it, right? It's not that Britain's going to take back Hong Kong, right? I mean, it is China's. It seems like China is going to do what they want to do in this situation. Now, they don't want millions of protesters, so they might try to, you know, nuance that in some way. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm sympathetic, but also, uh, like, pessimistic about mm-hmm. that. This is just this is just where it's going to go. The writing is on the wall. Yeah, I mean, they, they even said the legislation isn't going away. We won't bring it forward again until we have a broader discussion about it, right. instead of just throwing it in your face, you know, without the nuance of lying to you better. Yeah. Um, it's it's just crazy. We're you know we're we're going to talk about human rights in a minute, but um, you know you have this 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 blatant distinction between these two systems and what China is compared to what is in reality a very westernized industrialized society that doesn't want anything to do with them in in, in a lot of ways. Um, and I think that that says something about where China is at this point. They may be a massive industrial power, but their record on human rights and their judicial system and the influence of the Communist Party is it's horrendous. Um, and yeah, I, I tend to agree with with you, Phil. Uh, this is it's they're going to stall for a little while and find a way to get around this. And if it takes too long, they, you know, they will take the military route to to deal with this, and they can slowly chip away at it too, right? Yes. You know, rules like this, other legislation, to slow, and they've been that's what they've been doing, mm-hmm. slowly pulling that autonomy away from uh, from Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. I think I think about uh, you know talking about that the slowness. I, I think about this is a total political science nerd reference. <laughs> I think about Kennan's long telegraph when he yeah. was talking about Russia at the beginning of the Cold War, and his take was essentially Russia has this very long view. You know, they, they're in no hurry. They can afford to be patient, and that feels a little bit like this is the case with China. Okay, people are really pissed off. You know, 50 years is a, like, a you know, just a blip of time for China. I think they're, I don't, I think this is, you know, they can, this is a, they're, they're going to end up where they want to be um, and and they can you know afford to wait a little bit if they need to. Quick tidbit about George uh, George Cannon's uh, uh, long telegram. It was so long that he didn't finish it until about time to go home. And his assistant, this woman, uh, had a hot date that night, and she said, "Well, can't I send it in the morning?" Uh, you know, Mr. Kennan, and he said, "No, you send it tonight." So she had to miss her date to send the long telegram to the United States. What a dick! Yeah, it was like an eighteen pager too. It's a long telegram. Oh so. God! <laughs> so, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, like, <clears throat> for, I, like I, you know, anyway, yeah, her, her, her <laughs> date telegram. does seem relative. Like a date <laughs> seems relatively small compared to 
hey, containment. This is true. <laughs> <laughs> the other, so I, I think you're both right. This the writing on, is on the wall. Eventually, uh, Hong Kong is going to lose all of those political rights, and it's it's going to be a sad thing. I will say, what's happening there over the last week is is exciting. It's a win for democracy. Democracy around the world is struggling. I mean, the measures of democracy in developed states has gone down. The authoritarian systems, it's drifted. It's not been a good decade for democracy, but this was nice to see. Hmm. You know, people standing up, protesting, pushing back, and you saw China caved. You know, they said, okay, let's withdraw this. So that's that's a good sign, and it makes me hopeful that maybe there can be more pushback against this drift towards authoritarianism. Oh, that's so cute. I, it's just, it's, <laughs> I got to have some hope, right? <laughs> and I, I think to something Phil said earlier, so we we're talking about Hong Kong, but Taiwan is also another yes. issue, right? So you've got these two provinces with some independence. The United States has to make a decision about how it's going to respond if yep. China ultimately does say we're taking Hong Kong back and Taiwan back. The United States still sells weapons to Taiwan, you know. I mean, so mm-hmm. how are we going to handle this this ultimate uh, development? Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Yeah. All right, let's go to human rights. So our final, this is going to be a fun one. So the Trump administration plans to launch a new panel to offer, quote, fresh thinking on international human rights and natural law, a move some activists fear is aimed at narrowing protection for women and members of the LGBT community. The note states, quote, the commission will provide fresh thinking about human rights discourse where such discourse has departed from our nation's founding principles of natural law and natural rights, unquote. The word natural in such context is often interpreted to mean God-given, a phrasing phrasing that is less common in modern human rights literature, but which could signal a shift towards a more religious conception. It's too early to know what exactly the administration is up to, but it's important to know that the U.S. does already have a clearly defined understanding of human rights. In fact, the U.S. produces an annual report on human rights around the world, the only country in the world to do so. Phil, I know how much you love fresh thinking uh, on, on issues, but are you excited about the prospect of some fresh thinking about human rights by the Trump administration? Um, yeah. <laughs> I have no problem with fresh thinking. I think it's great to, yeah. to think freshly and, and to think critically about things. I, I don't know enough about, you know, the, the you know, it's a, critics are, are concerned this might be the direction. I, I don't have a sense of whether that concern is well-founded or if it's just a broader, hey, if the Trump administration is doing this, we're, we're worried. I, I, I go back to, um, I think, th- maybe the thing that makes me feel a little better about this whichever direction it goes right however whatever the outcome is that human rights is is um i think the u.s has an important voice in human rights but human rights is bigger than the united states i mean this fits with a a a a broad pattern as well in which we think of ourselves as like the you know the the center of the world yeah Um, But we with human rights, we pick and choose, you know, we don't we haven't signed on to some of the key or we haven't ratified a number of the key international human rights treaties. So um, it's not like whatever we do shifts the international dialogue. The death penalty is a good example in which the U.S. is an outlier. We we like the death penalty. We won't sign on to various the optional protocol of the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, which. Um, basically bans the death penalty. You know, there's like five countries in the world who haven't signed it, and we're one of them. That doesn't that doesn't mean that that idea has collapsed. The rest of the world continues to move forward on it without the United States. So, uh, all that to say, I th- I think you know if the U.S. you know having a debate about what is human, what qualifies as human <clears throat> rights, what should qualify, what shouldn't, those debates are good. 
Um, if you're worried about a Trump administration doing this, I think that uh, you have to keep in mind the idea that one administration in one country is unlikely to change international concepts of human rights unless they are able to persuade others or unless there is this broader trend internationally. Um, and I think that goes in, in both, you know, both directions. People who are worried about this dramatic shift towards the left or dramatic shift towards the right internationally. Um, I, I think, you know, those those trends happen typically slowly and over time. And, and one one group is, is probably not going to make that shift. Mm -hmm. Interesting, Nick. <clears throat> uh, I mean, in this particular situation, um, they have no idea who will actually be on the panel yet. They have no idea when it will take uh, take effect. Um, Pompeo has stated, whether you believe him or not, that it'll be deeply connected to the existing Human Rights Bureau. Um, it's headed by uh, Pompeo's director of, of policy planning. Um, I, I don't think we have enough details. I, I think that once we have an understanding of the makeup of the commission, who's involved in it, um, you know, what their pedigree is, what they think on human rights in general, um, then we can have a discussion about it. But to already be lambasting it simply because it's coming out of the Trump administration, I don't think is positive. Regardless, again, I understand what you know, the potential implications are um, and what their track record is, quote unquote. Um, <laughs> Trump loves human rights. He does. Yeah. But I, I I think it's 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 here's I'm gonna be naive. I think it is good to have a discussion about it. I think if it is purely a commission made up of Trump appointees and you know evangelical religious leaders, then we have a problem. If you're bringing in people from the outside that are informing the population and informing the administration and having an actual discussion about human rights and you know, policies that work, policies that don't, what we should be involved in, what we shouldn't be involved in, that's a positive thing. Um, again, we, we don't have enough information on what this will actually do. I, I personally think it, it could, I'm more optimistic than pessimistic on this one. You're right, but it, it, it does have to be a good faith effort and, right. and there's not much in the trump administration that lends leads you to think that that would be the take that they would have mm -hmm. let me make the case for pessimism okay um, <laughs> so one of the guys who's going to be on the board or the group or whatever they're calling it is robert george who's this uh, princeton professor and he is a big proponent of this the natural law and natural rights and his argument and again we're extrapolating we're leading the reading the tea leaves a little bit but he has used those terms to argue against uh, women's rights, to argue against LGBTQ rights, uh, to argue that those things aren't natural, right? And that human rights should be natural. That the, the idea of natural rights is this idea that there's a, a common sense to the universe, that everybody believes in certain values. And for many people, those values are God-given God values. And so there are certain human rights as we conceive them today that aren't natural. And we should drift away from those. My, my guess is that is going to be part of the conversation. It's not going to be about expanding these rights. It's going to be rethinking which rights do we really want to push. Mm -hmm. And I, that I'm a little worried about, both in terms of the United States, but also globally what that suggests. If the United States is trying to rethink and reconceptualize a more narrow understanding of human rights, then, I, then I'm a little troubled. Sure. So I, I don't think you and I are all that far off in mm -hmm. our thinking. I think the the substance of the of the the discussion or the direction yeah i think i agree with you I, i'm concerned about it i think the part that leaves me feeling a little more comfortable is that 
I'm more skeptical about the impact of the discussion. I think yeah. the the broader sort of societal trends and, and you know, so if Trump is going to use this to justify policies or a, a policy shift, that's happening anyway, right? That's going to happen yes. anyway. And and societal changes, societal attitudes towards women or towards you know the the gay community or whatever, that that's not going to be changed by a, a commission with with a Princeton professor or whatever. Now. Right. I do talk a lot about norms and the extent to which that might shape other countries, but I still also think that, again, a norm, the U.S. can try to be a norm entrepreneur, can try to shift norms in this case, right. but unless they're able to convince other people to get them on board, mm -hmm. then, so, yeah, I mean, I, I suppose I should say that, is it a, a, is there a little flag of concern that goes with it? Sure, but in my long list of things that I'm concerned about, it's pretty far down the list. <laughs> yeah. The other interesting thing for me is that uh, there are elements of the Trump administration that are sort of cartoonish, right? You know, think about guys like Scaramucci, who are just not very good at their jobs, the, the previous acting attorney general. And then there are individuals who are really good at their job. And I think Pompeo brings a certain level of heft. What You're right, Phil, that the, the policy is already there. What they're trying to do is they're trying to build an intellectual foundation, an ideological foundation for human rights that I think is a more narrow conception of human rights. That's pretty sophisticated. Mm -hmm. um, they're bringing in some heavy hitters. So it, it's, it's interesting to think about that and that there are a lot of individuals who are really good at their job in the Trump administration, even though I may disagree with the agenda that they're pursuing. Mm -hmm. and, and putting an official stamp on it does yes. give it an air of legitimacy. Yeah. You're, you're right. You're right. Maybe I should be more concerned. Sorry, yeah. talking too much. No, you're fine. <laughs> no, I, I, I again, I, I, you bring up a good point. I, I think that it could potentially be problematic to use our favorite term I think the first time today <laughs> um, I, I don't necessarily agree with um, what the hell was his name uh, the Pompeo? professor no. oh uh, Robert George yeah yeah um, I don't necessarily agree with that point of view but I do think it's useful to have that voice in the room mm -hmm. when you're trying to either discredit or inform mm -hmm. um, or change an opinion uh, I, I don't know. We'll see what happens. My yeah. my sense is, <clears throat> and having experience with this, this is another bureaucratic piece of shit group that they even said is going to meet probably once a month, and we'll probably never hear anything about I it ever again. I think their budget is like $300,000. Yeah. That doesn't you, even get you pizza no, in you're not. No, yeah. this is going to mean nothing. <laughs> you're right. The, okay, the only, I'll, I'll, I'll say one more thing, then I'll shut up. Uh, the, only, the other area that really concerns me about this is that the, the United States is kind of the leader on LGBTQ rights. Uh, and there are a lot of countries that look to see what's happening in the United States, and they feel pressure for the United States if they're not respecting those rights. And our State Department has actively put pressure on those regimes. Yeah. If this new conception of human rights would shift that, then I think it's even even more problematic. And I don't, I, again, we're jumping to conclusions here, yeah. but these are the things that are going through my head. If we're going to be the leader, leading voice on this, I, I'm, I'm, I'm at least curious to see where the conversation goes I, I think we were the purveyor of that yeah. that thought uh or that thought process but I, I think a lot of countries and areas of the world that we would have never have conceived of, of kind of taking up that mantle have made extremely um mm -hmm. a, a huge amount of progress countries in Africa countries in Southeast Asia that were vehemently opposed to LGBT rights um are now embracing them um I, I think that the U.S. has <clears throat> significant heft in, in most of uh, uh, policy decisions when it comes to human rights. But at some point, the narrative and the, the policies and the way of thinking 
tend to take a life of their own. Yeah, um, that's a good point. And, and you know, spread without need of us. We are not the center of the world, so we can't always think that we are. The norm flies on its own. Yeah, jumps out of the nest. <laughs> that was fun. Thanks for entertaining oh, that one. That's a good, yeah. fun topic. Um, on that note, if you guys like the podcast, have questions about the podcast, um, any of those fun things. Um, follow us on Twitter at Barstool Paul P-O-L Facebook at Barstool Politics uh, the podcast um, Spotify iTunes SoundCloud Stitcher Google Play Music most major podcasting platforms uh, share us review us like us through there beers uh, you can find on Untapped on iOS or Android uh, just look for Barstool Politics uh, and we are partnered with Predicted which is a uh, real money political prediction market uh, pretty much a stock market for politics oh my god uh, where you can buy or sell shares in uh, future political events uh, Barso Politics listeners who use the uh, promo link when opening up a new account will receive up to a $20 match on their first deposit. Excuse me. Um, so if you open a $20 account, uh, Predicted will match that $20, giving you $40 to use on Predicted. Just use the uh, promo link, predicted.org slash promo slash Paul 20 uh, to check it out. Anything else, guys? That was fun, Nick. Phil, you good? I'm good. Awesome. We'll see you guys next week. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.